The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and visual teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Welcome, everybody. Once again, we're so glad you're here. My name is Alan. Uh, as David said, uh, DV won last night, and I had to have the privilege of uh, my oldest son is on the marching band, and, and we didn't get a chance to go to the state championship last night. My wife and I paid for the live streaming so we could watch it and set it all up in our living room and uh, set up a video camera to record the TV so we could illegally record it. Uh, that was, that's all good. Uh, and, and we watched an hour and a half of, of other bands and all the other competition and all that. And DV was on at 8.15. And, uh, and uh, guess what happened at 8.03? They're in Lakewood. Boom, the power went out. And so some of you may have heard about that or been a part of that. And so we missed the whole thing, didn't know uh, what happened until uh, Gordon got home at midnight. And so uh, anyway, uh, you can count on, uh, uh, you cannot count on SRP like one, two, three. Uh, (laughs) But the reason we did that song, uh, Count On Me, is that it connects with our verse for today, with our foundational verse for, for today, which is found in John Chapter 13, verses 35, uh, 34 and 35, where Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, you can count on me. That's what friends are supposed to be. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of the driver here on this. Now, before I get to this, I want to address some uh, incredible men and women that uh, we have counted on for decades uh, as a country. As we continue to celebrate Veterans Day this weekend, I would like to uh, celebrate and acknowledge uh, those of you who are uh, veterans. Uh, hopefully you noticed the banners in the lobby uh, with a number of names of people that are connected to Mountain Park and have served or are serving in the military. If there's anything on there that is missed, let us know because we keep updating that, uh, that banner uh, list there. But I want to take a moment here as we head into prayer. If there are any of you here who have served in the military or are currently serving, would you stand so that we can celebrate and acknowledge you here today? Would you stand, please? God bless you. Now, if possible, if possible, if possible, would you remain standing? And I'd I'd like to invite uh, family members uh, of those who are uh, who are our standing or perhaps a family member of someone who is serving, uh, if you would stand too, because uh, it's a sacrifice on your end too. So we want to pray for you and, uh, and remember you today as well. Would you stand if, if you're a family member or someone who is serving? God bless you guys. Let's, let's pray. Let's, let's pray for those who are standing and those who are uh, represented by those who are standing. Father, we are so thankful for uh, the people uh, in this room, the people represented in this room. 
We are so thankful for the freedom that we get to experience uh, spiritually in you. And we are so thankful for the freedom that we get to experience physically, literally, because of the story that you have been telling through this amazing country. And so we remember and, uh, and honor those who are serving now. God, would you take care of them? Would you keep them safe? Um, as our, our country is in an, an incredible uh, uh, season, incredible transition with, with, uh, with new leadership, um, Father, we, we trust you and we respond to your word that says we are to pray for our leaders. And, uh, and none of this happens without your control. So God, we, uh, we pray for uh, Obama for the end of his second term, God, that you would um, uh, allow him to do what, what you want him to do with the remainder of his time there. God, we pray for President-elect Donald Trump. God, that you would uh, use him in a way that would perhaps uh, surprise uh, himself, surprise all of us, God, that there would be something uh, amazing that would come out of this because you're the one in charge. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks. Thanks for standing. Well, our, uh, our um, uh, foundational verse uh, today is, again, from John chapter 13. And uh, we have, uh, I, as I said, there's just been, uh, it's just been an incredible transition of a week. What a zany week for us as, as a country. What better time for us to say, okay, what, what's our foundation? I mean, what, what is the root of this? What is our foundation as families, as a community, as a country? And so that, that leads uh, uh, me and many of you to want to go to Scripture. What does Scripture have to say? And so this whole year, we have set aside... Um, uh, 40 of our Sundays to look at 40 foundational passages of Scripture to help us understand what the overall story of God is and then how can we live our lives. Right now we're in a section called the unwritten. We've been looking at foundational verses that affect our journey here today. Not just what happened in the past, not just glimpses of what may happen in the future, but verses that impact us right here, right now. We looked at Jeremiah 29 and, um, and the verse that has to do with us right now and the plans that God has for us. We looked at uh, a verse about us at work and us in, in our families. Last week we talked about us in our marriage relationship. Today we're talking about our relationship with one another. And Jesus says here in these verses, love one another. He's very clear here in these two verses. He says it three times. Love one another. So what we're going to do today is we're going to step back and take a look at the context of these words. Some of you perhaps are very familiar with these verses, as you are many of our foundational verses. But we have to step back and look at the context of them. This is so important. We've got to know who is saying this to whom uh, were these words being said? And what's, the, what's going on around it? And when, what, is the, what are the circumstances? If you were digging into information about uh, any other area, you would want to know the context of it. So in Scripture, we want to know what's, what's happening in the chapter before and the chapter after, after that. Here in chapter 13, Jesus is on, is, uh, is, has gathered his disciples, his best friends, the 12 that he has been doing life with for about three years, he gathers them on the night before he is crucified. He assembles them uh, in an upper room in the second floor of a home that's in Jerusalem in, in viewing distance of the temple, of that area where he is uh, sentenced to be crucified. He's there's very close to that whole area right in there in Jerusalem. 
And he gathers in that upper room with this, uh, with this group of 12. And chapter 13 begins with Jesus washing their feet. It's this incredible image of, of service, of Jesus sitting down and washing their feet. And Peter, who's uh, kind of feisty, his first response is, Jesus, you will not wash my feet. He's, he's courageous, passionate Peter. And, and, and Jesus says, you know what? Uh, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you want, you want nothing to do with me. And Peter, passionate Peter, you know, changes his, his tune right away and says, okay, then wash everything. Wash my hair, wash my hands, wash. I got this part on my back that I can't reach. Wash it all. Wash it all, Jesus, because I'm passionate Peter. And Jesus said, settle down, settle down. It's, I don't have to wash everything. I just want to wash your feet because your feet are the dirtiest part of your body and it represents something. Just, just relax. I want to wash your feet. And he has this beautiful moment with his disciples. And then it's after that moment, here in chapter 13, that Jesus identifies one of the 12 as the one who would betray him. Identifies Judas as the one. And Judas gets up from the table, leaves the setting, and he then goes and, and, and tells the Romans where Jesus is. And that's how the whole crucifixion story happens later on that night. Judas leaves, and Jesus is left with the 11, 11 remaining his closest friends, he gathers with them, and he says to them, a new command I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. These are some of the, the final words that Jesus teaches his disciples before the crucifixion. Essentially what he's saying to passionate Peter and those who had gathered there, I know you want to do something about this movement. I know you're, you're eager and you're zealous, but you can't go where I'm going. I, I, you're not God, and I'm going to do something. Uh, I'm going to encounter uh, Satan, and I'm going to have this experience with these, for these three days. You can't understand what this is all about. Nor are you even going to be able to handle the whole crucifixion scene. Peter, you're not even courageous enough strong enough to handle that, you're going to deny me here coming up. It's going to be hard. It's going to be rough on you. But here's what you can do. You can love one another. Okay, I know, that, I know you want to be a part of this. You want to engage with this. There's a lot of things you can't do because you're not me. You're not God. But you can love one another. And this is very powerful. You can love one another. So, uh, what this what this uh, what this uh, leads to is 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 this idea of what is what is the um, what is the reputation of the church? What is the church known for? Is the church known for being a place where we love one another? It's interesting that Jesus starts off these this thought these verses by saying, "A new command I give you." At first glance, you might think. Well, that's not a new command. It's not a new idea whatsoever. You look into the Old Testament, and, it, and it's drenched with the idea of loving one another. The Ten Commandments are all about how to treat one another differently, different than the other cultures have been treating them. Love one another. In Leviticus, Moses says, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus echoes that himself when he summarizes all of the laws and the commandments of the New Testament. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It seems like it's covered, but here's the new part that Jesus says here. It's the beginning of verse 35. He says, by this, this loving one another, 
everyone will know that you're my disciples. In other words, this command right here, the new part, is it's not about how you love other people in the community, how you love other people in your neighborhood, at work, and how you reach out to those who are, who are not disciples, reach out to those who are not part of the church. That's not what these verses are for. That's covered elsewhere in many different ways. In fact, in two weeks, we're going to look at a foundational verse that has to do with our, our commandment to love others uh, outside of the church, etc. This is about us. This is about those of us who would call ourselves followers of Christ to say, how do we treat one another? Do we love one another here in this place? And this is very important because sometimes we're not very good at it. We gossip and call it a prayer gathering. We judge one another. Sometimes we may even get pleasure out of someone else stumbling because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's not you. That's people from the 9 o'clock service. That's, that would never be you. That's not something that you would experience. But how do we treat one another? This is, this is in fact, what, what, what I think the Catholic Church has done a really good job at for the most part, throughout 2,000 years of, of history with the story of the Catholic Church and all the different reasons and ways that the church could have broken up into many different places, the Catholic Church, for the most part, has remained one holy Catholic Church, which is impressive in contrast to the Protestant Church, which is what we are part of. The Protestant Church has one little difference about, about theologically something that happens and whoom, they break off into something else. There's thousands of different denominations and break-offs, and it's so confusing. I'm a professional. I, don't know, I have no clue what it's all, what it, how it all breaks down. It just breaks down into so many different ways that people say, you know what? You can't have uh, uh, musical instruments as part of your worship experience. You can't do musical instruments. So, boom, the church breaks up into the non-instrumental church. It's true. This is a real thing. Or there's a, a breakdown with, uh, well, you can't baptize babies. That's, you can't do that. And so we're going to be the real uh, baptizers. And then there's the baby baptizers. Church breaks off. You can't have women as pastors. Nope. We're going to break off. We're going to break this whole thing up. There's so many different ways that we break up and we, and we, uh, we are divided. Here in Phoenix, uh, in the evangelical church, people bounce around from church to church and, and say, well, something happened in children's ministry or there's a change in, in worship or uh, strategy with small groups or something like that. And so we bounce around and we move on. It's just so divisive. It just breaks down this whole love one another piece. And it makes the people who are, who are looking at the church think, what's wrong with them? They don't even get along with one another. I mean, it looks awful from the outside. And it makes people say, well, why would I want to be a part of that? Jesus says, love one another. Love one another so that other people would look in. I, I love the glass uh, uh, architecture in our lobby, and it will be in our new building as well, this, this, uh, this glass architecture. Uh, so that people literally drive by and they can see in. It's not something secret in there. It's, you can see people are gathering around. We want people literally and figuratively to look at us and say, man, they love each other. They love one another. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. And it's a powerful thing. In the early church, they did this really well. In fact, this is all they had. 
They, the early church didn't have any money. They didn't have any power. They didn't have any prestige. They, had, they were poor. The disciples were poor. The, the early believers were poor. They didn't have any power. What they have is the ability to love one another. And so what they did is they, they cared for one another. They cared for the elderly. They cared for the sick. They took care of the dead, of those who had died. Instead of just making uh, piles of dead in the city and they would create uh, disease and stench and all that, it was the Christians who were saying, you know what, we're going to show respect to these bodies, etc. We're going we're to do something that the government of Rome was not able to do. They were loving one another in profound ways, and people noticed, and Rome noticed. This was a, a huge part of the transformation in that area at that time that led to Rome, with the mighty Rome, being turned around, that, is, that eventually became the center of the Christian church. It's just this amazing transformation. It happened because they were loving one another. So it leads us to a very important question. What are we known for? What are Christians known for? I think Jesus has a great reputation. In general, around the world, number of different people, we have conversations. Jesus, people may question whether Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord or not. But in general, Jesus has a great reputation. He was very loving. He was very wise. He was very compassionate. Jesus is known for great things in general. The Christian church, however, is not always known for great things. The Christian church has done amazing things throughout human history, but has also made a whole lot of mistakes. There was a study made by the Barna Group a number of years ago that that wanted to find out what is the reputation of the church among those who are unchurched, who are not a part of the church. And, and a number of awful things rose to the top, that the church is hypocritical, the church is judgmental, the church is, is too political, the church is anti-homosexual. And so to be known for these things, that, that's, what, that's what so many just look in and say, why would I want to be a part of that? Jesus is clear in saying, love one another. Love one another. What, what is Mountain Park known as? What is, how is Mountain Park known here in this community? Jesus wants us to be known for loving one another. That, that people will know that we are his disciples because we love one another. People will know we're part of the Christian church because we love one another. People will know that we're part of Bridgeway Community Church or Foothills Baptist Church or Mountain Park Community Church because of how we treat one another. It's a very powerful thing. Imagine with me, if you will, that you are an owner of a restaurant. <laughs> that just happened. You own a restaurant, and you love your restaurant. You believe very deeply in your restaurant. You want people to come to your restaurant, not just because it's a financial thing. You think it's, a, it's, a, it's an important part of our community. You want people to come to your restaurant. Is it more important for you to serve great food or to have a great sign? If you're starting a restaurant, is it more important to say, yeah, maybe people don't know where we are, but once they get here, it's going to be a great experience? Or is it more important to say, we got to get them in the door. We have to have a big a sign that they cannot miss. Look here, go here. Everyone knows where this big sign is. Which one would be more important to you? Let me give you a couple examples. So uh, a few weeks back, my family and I got to go to New York for fall break, 
And it was kind of a, a hope for us to be able to do that at some point. And we did that. It was fantastic. We had a great time. And there was this restaurant near our hotel called uh, the Carnegie Deli. Anybody heard of the Carnegie Deli? Okay, yeah, see, I was born under a rock because I had never heard of it. But a number of you have seen it. The Carnegie Deli is, is, is kind of a hole in the wall. I mean, it's just this tiny little place, not a big old, not a big flashy sign. But every day we would walk by, drive by or whatever, and there is a line coming out of the Carnegie Deli going all the way down the street. Every day for lunch and for dinner, it would be right in front of a bunch of other delis. So other delis are just kind of looking through the window at this line of people who are waiting for a long time to get into the Carnegie Deli. Why? Why? Because once you get in, you could order one of these sandwiches. It looks like this. Yeah, yeah. That's made in America right there. That is, that is so beautiful. That is corned beef stacked so high. It costs 30 bucks for a sandwich. $30 for a sandwich at this little dive of a deli. And so we bought two for our family and just pounced on them like wolves. I mean, just kind of rah, 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 and just was ripping meat all over. Meat was flying around. It was just fantastic. It's great food. It's great food. Now, contrast that with me, if you will, to the, the uh, food carts in New York. Now, what I'm trying to contrast is serve great food versus having a great sign. The, the food carts... They don't have a big old sign, but they certainly have a shtick, right? I mean, everyone watching TV, watching movies, you're, you're aware of the hot dog carts, the food carts in New York. And before we left, we were told by many experts, you got to eat food from the food carts. you got to eat food from the food carts. And so let me just tell you, from my very small experience in New York, no, you don't. I'm just saying. I'm just, it's just an opinion, but I'm just saying, no, you don't. We were uh, getting onto the ferry to go to uh, see the Statue of Liberty, and, uh, and, and it was around lunchtime, and so we went to a halal uh, uh, food cart there, and uh, so for 13 bucks, I had my, my um, uh, what's the styrofoam you know, uh, plate there, and they took a clump of lettuce and a clump of rice. And then they took a, uh, what looked like a hamburger patty and then chopped it up on the grill, put a little seasoning on it, and called it lamb. And then they put that on the thing and then put a little bit of sauce on there and then charged me 13 bucks. It was disgusting. I mean, it was just, it was just barely edible, uh, this thing. And, and I know some of you are going to come up to me afterwards and say, well, you should have gone to 14th Street because that's where the great ones are. I know I probably missed out. But the, my experience with the food cart is that it was, it was nowhere close. It was nowhere close. So... If you were doing a restaurant, I would say, I'm no expert on restaurant building, but I would say serve great food. Don't just have a great big sign. And so if I was saying to you as a follower of Christ, as someone who believes that the message of Jesus is life-changing for you, for your marriage, for family, for your heart, for your brokenness, for your wounds, if, if, if I was for someone who believes that Jesus is that message, serve great food. Don't just have a great sign. And the great food is that together we love one another. We love one another so that the people who are, who are, who are looking from the outside the hurting, lost, broken people, whatever, who are looking for some, some way to fill a hole in their heart can see they love one another. That's what I want to be a part of. That's what I want to be a part of. This is relevant for us 
as a church because right now we're building a huge sign on the corner of 48th Street and Fry. A huge sign on there, and it's very visible, and people are talking about it, and people know about our new church building over there in that corner, and it is going to be a beautiful building, and I'm excited, and we're on the second floor now. We're building the second floor, and, and, and it's good, and God is doing great things, and I can't wait, and it's very exciting, and you're faithful, and it's going to be a great journey, but it'll mean nothing if we move into that place and we don't continue to love one another. Anybody who's Who's, who's drawn into, wants to experience more of the love and the light of Jesus Christ, if they come in and they see us divisive, fighting with one another, why would they stay? All of it, that big old beautiful building, it means nothing if we don't come into that place loving one another. Loving one another. Now, um, uh, the, the, the way we do that is, is what around here we call it connect. The way we do it, the way we love one another is we connect with one another. And I believe that is a core desire for us. As a core desire for all of us inside, outside the church. We want to be connected. And you can't get that. You can't get that connection with other people by, by many of the cyber relationships that are, that are uh, so much a part of our lives right now. You can't get that by going online or, or watching Joel Osteen on TV. I mean, you can get, you can get way better messages from all over the country and all, than, than what happens here in this place. Absolutely. You can go to... Um, you can do Facebook multiple hours a day and be so aware of so many people in so many parts of the world and, 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 and do all that, but it's, it's not going to have you connect with people the way it happens in, in a body when we gather as a church. You can do uh, uh, Insta chat and, uh, or whatever, and you can do all that stuff and kind of fully engage. I'm so hip. Um, you can fully engage with that. But what, what we're not going to get out of that is this, is this need for us to love one another. We, we view our target as those who are distracted, because life is so busy, or disinterested, just driving right by, not even knowing our need for Jesus. And oftentimes, that's many of us, we're distracted and disinterested. And, and the distracted and disinterested uh, have a built-in desire to connect, just like you and me. A desire to connect one another. That's what this love one another piece happens. That's what's so powerful. So, so powerful about this, about this, uh, this deal. The people, people don't want to be impressed by you as much as we think they want to be impressed. You know what I mean? That, that it's kind of the Awatuki way to sometimes to do relationships, to invite people over. And come to my beautiful house because I have this, this incredible spread of food and I have this incredible set of drinks and the whole thing is ready to go. And I'm going to amaze you when you come because I've set it up and I I've, I've, I've have it all ready. People are sometimes more intimidated by that. That people don't want perfection. They want humility. I mean, this, this chapter starts off with Jesus washing the feet of his disciples and Peter at first is uncomfortable with that because that's not, that's not what kings do. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to teach you to connect and serve and love one another in a way that you've never seen before. People don't want to be impressed. They want to be connected. They want to connect with you. It's, 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 again, it's what we call around here, it's what we call connect. And we have, uh, we've actually 
done an overhaul of our, uh, of our, of our language and our staff structure here. I'm going to walk it out in, in greater detail next year, but we're really centering our whole deal around three words. Again, our staffing and all that is around three words, celebrate, connect, and realize. Celebrate God's story. We've got to know what the story is and who Jesus is. Connect with one another and realize your role in God's story. That our mission is taking the distracted and disinterested to realize their role in God's story. And we can't do that. We can't fulfill all that God has created for you to do at your work, at home, in your marriage. We can't do all of that stuff unless we're connecting with one another. That's the beauty of of gathering and being connected and, and having these relationships. We can't do that if we're not loving one another. Had a great um, example of this, uh, of a way that, that the people in our children's ministry loved on a little boy that had an impact on that boy's family. I learned about it a few weeks back. And so we captured the story from the parents uh, on video. We wanted to share it with you here this morning. Check this out. My name is John Seaman. This is my wife, Jennifer. We've been married for, she says, about 11 years. <laughs> and uh, we've been coming to Mount Park consistently since April. We have two great children. Madeline, my daughter, is in fourth grade, and Ashton, my son, is in first grade. I am am in first grade. Ashton has been a unique child since he was born. He was born premature and has had a couple of medical issues. Most recently, he was uh, diagnosed with apraxia and a stutter. Our great speech therapist at our school has been working with him pretty consistently on that. Um, But it's posed a lot of challenges for him. Knowing him, knowing his mannerisms, his speech patterns, it can still be pretty hard to understand him sometimes. And he knows that. It's rough because you can see it in his frustration. You can see when he gets upset. Um, You can see when he just quits. And as a parent, you do anything to make them more successful. And it's sad when you're the parent and you can't solve those problems. You can't make them better. It's been Ashton's typical pattern to not want to go to children's service. He has grown up going to adult services no matter which church we've been attending. However, Mountain Park seemed to be a little different. The first two times, it was there was a bribe, a small bribe to get him to go in. Then it's like a light bulb went off and he started really enjoying going. There was no more battle to get him to go in. One morning, Miss Kimberly stopped me and she said, Ashton led worship. He, he raised his hand and he answered a bunch of questions. And um, I said, are, are you sure you have the right kid? And uh, she said, yes. You know, he, and he got up and he told me, Mom, I, I was on the stage. And Mom, I, I knew the, all the questions to the story. And you have to understand that to have a kid who didn't want to go and who struggles to communicate with people and be understood and fears human interaction to hear the words your child led worship i i didn't know how to react i cried we didn't expect him to break out um, and really stand out in class and at school that's occurring Um, you know he's still quiet he's still shy he still doesn't like it when the class gets loud but at church it's very, very different. Um, you know, his speech is still, you know, he is doing better. He is getting more concise. He also is getting confidence. He also is shining. It's because they take that extra time to really t- 
tell the children how important they are and how special they are and how much they're loved. And now he loves going. He's dragging me by the hand to his classroom each Sunday morning. And he's earning his Bible books and reading his Bible stories. And it seems to be a way for him to be successful and successful in a group and successful worshiping his way with his friends. It's a, it's a beautiful thing when children are loved, when students are loved. We need it. We desire it. We all desire it when we love one another. It's a beautiful thing for us, and it's a beautiful thing when people observe that. It's really the church at its best. Let me give you another example. Uh, a little over three years ago, in September 2013, I had the very difficult honor of officiating the funeral of Sandy Hopkins, and many of you remember uh, Sandy. She was on staff here in children's area. And she and her family have been part of our church for many, 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 many years. And I, as, a, as, a, as an officiant for the funeral, I prepared my sermon like I do on a Sunday or on a, any wedding or funeral or whatever. I prepared my words to say, etc. And I, I uh, got up and I welcomed everybody. And there was some uh, music. And then we went into a time of open mic sharing and a number of people, uh, there were hundreds of people, uh, the room was nearly full for the uh, funeral, and a number of people would, would come up and share profound stories and thoughts and, uh, and, uh, and readings of poems, and it was just a profound experience, and it went on for quite some time. And when that was all done and it was time for me to come up and do my sermon, I just, I just realized there was nothing more that needed to be said. There was nothing that I needed to say there. So I just got up and I prayed and dismissed everybody. I've never done that before. I've never just kind of, you know, not done that piece. Just kind of skipped that over. And I went into the lobby and a number of people said, oh, pastor, you did such a great job. I didn't do anything. I mean, I just, and, and it's kind of this sobering reality that people really don't want to hear sermons. I mean, I think, I think what, what they were most thrilled with is that I didn't give a sermon, which which, you know, makes me have to, you know, do some self, self you know, searching there, some soul searching there in terms of my calling. But, um, but it was interesting that, uh, that I mean, this is so, such a profound experience. And for me, um, the, the moment that was the most, most profound for me personally was Sandy's brand new son-in-law, Casey, who got up and read a poem that he wrote. And it was, it was an incredibly profound uh, poem, and I caught him in the lobby afterwards, and and I just I I just said, thanks for sharing that. That was you are very gifted. That was an incredible moment for us as a church. Thank you so much. And he he just looked at me, put his hand on my shoulder, and he had tears in his eyes. He said, he said, Alan, this is an incredible church. Here's a guy that, that has, has no connection with the church, has, has uh, no real need for church or how that could be beneficial for his journey, etc. And yet over the past number of weeks as he's walked this out with his family, with his new family, he saw at one point a, a few weeks prior to that, nearly 100 people had Team Sandy shirts and did a run-walk uh, experience where they raised a, a, a lot of money for uh, cancer research for the cancer that Sandy uh, died from. And in that whole journey, for a number of weeks during, during, during that time, there were waves of you 
who would come in and serve meals and clean the home. Waves of you would watch people that he had no idea where they were coming and going and some, some repeated people coming and going through this whole experience. And then after she died, there were about a hundred luminaries that were made in our children's ministry and, and a number of people who, who wrote messages of hope on, the, on paper bags, messages of memories of Sandy and celebration of Sandy's life. And a hundred luminaries were distributed throughout her neighborhood. So as people were driving in at night and seeing these beautiful reminders of somebody tremendous has been lost from this community. And he just, he just after watching all of that stuff, He just said, Alan, I've never seen a group of people love one another the way this church has. That's the church at its best. And that makes makes people who are are desperately looking looking for Jesus to say, that's what I want to be a part of. That's what I want to be a part of. When we love one another instead of bicker against one another. And that doesn't happen unless you make it happen. It just doesn't happen unless I, you, we are a part of making this happen. You, you, you need to invite people over to your home, even if it's not perfect. Just invite people in. Just, just identify somebody and say, I want to get to know you. I want to learn your story. What a great question to ask anybody. Tell me your story. You need, to, you need to be a part of what we call a role group or some kind of group where you're connected with other people and having conversations that we don't normally have in life, spiritual conversations about accountability conversations. You just need to be a part of something like that, even if other people in that group aren't perfect like you. You need to be open to the idea of serving somewhere, of identifying some portion of your, of your day, of your week, where you are involved with the, with the ministry of, of, of the church or a parachurch some sort, or some organization where you are serving people, you're serving in some area here or serving in some area locally with our missions um, opportunities or going to Rocky Point or whatever to, to, to serve even if the timing of those things isn't perfect for you. Because the church can't love you if the church doesn't know you. The church can't love on you. You can't experience loving one another if you don't take a step forward in terms of being known by the church. And so we all have an option. We could be like Judas and and walk away from the table. That that was Judas' decision right there. That table was love. And Judas said, I'd rather have 30 shekels of silver. And he got up and he walked away. But with with those who remained... With those who said, I got, Jesus, I want to stay with you. He sat with them and he said, a new command I give you. I give you. You 11, you millions to come. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, for the most part, that happens naturally, the way we connect with one another. We invite people over, and we do things together. We get to know people. We do a little trip, go to a movie or whatever. That's just the way human relationships go. Sometimes we need a nudge for that. So that's why we have this ministry called Connect. We hired Zach Schiffer as our connection pastor because we want to do all that we can to help make that happen here as a church. If you want to connect with other people, today, a very simple action step, and if you haven't been able to do that here at Mountain Park, in the lobby at our home team area, Zach and his team are there, and they would love to take your name, information, and do all that they can to let you know what's going on, 
to follow up with you to help you get connected so that you can be a part of loving others and being loved on by the church. So I invite you to, to participate in that. It's, it's just that easy if you want to get connected with others here. Would you bow your head with me as we close in prayer? Father God, I thank you so much for these um, great stories. Uh, I, I know just a fraction of the stories of how people in our church have loved one another and, and how the church has loved me and my family, and I'm very thankful for that. And God, you know all the stories, the many stories that are rep represented here in this room, and we are thankful for that. God, I pray that we would draw closer to you through that. I pray that others in the community would draw closer to you so that others would say, that's what I want to be a part of. They, they love one another. They take care of one another. God, we want to we honor you with how we treat one another. We want to honor you by how we respond to this command to love one another. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. That's it for today. Thanks for coming. Have a great weekend and love one another. We'll see you next time.